Um, spring always makes me think of families uh, because we have so many things that remind us of that. We have Mother's Day and Father's Day and Memorial Day and Preschool Dedication Day, and then June is all about brides. We have graduating senior day. How many graduating seniors in here? Yay. <laughs> Woo. Yay. <laughs> I'm legal now. (laughs) You're really not. You're liable, but you're not legal. (laughs) So we always try to do a series that reminds us that God is interested in families, that that God uh, is is, um, invested in families, that His presence is with us in families. And this year I decided to tackle a book that we've never done before, Uh, the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is interesting because it takes place in a a landscape where families struggle, where the culture is not necessarily friendly to families, where the the decisions that have to be made and the the leadership that has to be expressed and the the parenting and the uh, the the relationships across in laws and outlaws. It, it's it's a book that reminds me a lot of our time today. So much so that I wrote this in my journal. I'm concerned for families. I think we're fighting for the spiritual health of our families every day. We find ourselves challenged by uncontrollable circumstances, bad decisions on the part of family members, cultural pressures, internal spiritual struggles, all in the book of Ruth. We're concerned about what our children are learning at school, about legislation being passed that opposes biblical values, about horrible lifestyles modeled on media platforms and reflected in values that media applauds and endorses. We can find anything we want on the internet and so can our kids. We have the ability to have an entirely secret life, whether virtual or actual. Truth is judged not by evidence, but by emotion. We live in a world where many adult children consider the faith of their parents a quaint tradition, but they have no use for it in real life. Okay, I I unloaded a lot of stuff right there. But the landscape in Ruth was not all that different. Ruth is an interesting book, and and one of my goals always as pastor, and if you're watching online, uh, uh, we we try to make sure that we touch a lot of different Bible books. And last July when I was preparing, I I noticed that we had never touched the book of Ruth at all. We, we had never really delved into uh, what's an incredibly great story. As a matter of fact, some literature people say it's the greatest short story that's ever been written, the greatest love story that's ever been written. And so we're going to unpack that over the, over, over the next month and a little bit and, and try to get our, our mind around this incredible love story. Some fun facts, it's the only book in the Old Testament that's named after someone who was not an Israelite, not a Jew. It is probably misnamed. Ruth is not even the main character in it. It was probably written somewhere around the time of King David, 
And a lot of people would say that the story itself is a little bit of a defense of his kingdom. That, that, that the, the story is very favorable to his birthplace, Bethlehem, and also his, his ministry. And so, so it's a fascinating story, but I find that it has a lot of real life. Let me set you up for it. God is at work in the worst of times, the worst of times. Some of you are sitting in here and thinking about the drama that's going on in your own families, the, the disappointments, the betrayal, the, the unmet expectations, worst of times, through difficult circumstances that maybe are deserved and maybe they're not. God's plan for you is for your good and His glory. That, that, that is part of what the book of Ruth is about is that God's glory shines through even the most difficult. So he's at work. Now let me read the story. I only get five verses of it, so I apologize ahead of time for the depressed state that I will leave you in today. It's sort of like Good Friday without talking about Easter. It's, it's, there's, there's some things about these first five verses that you kind of need to capture. And what I'd like to do today is just read the story, make a few comments along the way, and then make three observations about how it crosses over to our situation today. So, so if, you're, if you're taking notes, let's do the Bible for a minute. Um, it starts off, in the days when the judges ruled. So it lets us know uh, where it was to, to begin with, but, but that first sentence in this book ties into the last sentence in the previous book. So if you read the, the very end of Judges, which in, in the Bible it, it, it precedes Ruth, the very last sentence in Judges describes their culture and a little bit ours. The last verse in Judges said it was the time of the Judges... And it's sort of a summary of the whole book. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This narcissism ruled. Now, a little bit about the, the book of Judges. It's sort of written in a way that presents what a lot of people call the cycle of the Judges. See if this sounds familiar. You're living okay. Things are going pretty well. You mess up. You cry out to God for help. He sends a solution. You live in relative peace. You mess up again. You cry out to God. He sends a solution. Well, in the book of Judges, that cycle was the people of Israel lived in prosperity and peace. And then they would do something that, that replaced God as what they worshiped. And then he would allow consequences, either an enemy or natural disaster, or famine, or flood. He, he would let those things remind them that He's God and they're not. And then they would cry out to Him. He would send a judge to deliver them, to lead them, and then the whole cycle would start over. And the cycle of the judges is, is sort of the, the, the precursor to Ruth, because the period of the judges lasted from the time of Joshua, strong leader in Israel, to the time of King Saul, who started the period of the kings. So that's, that's probably more than you ever really wanted to know. 
But the themes that, that show up over and over in this book, family, poor decisions, relocation, struggle to trust God for provision, all of them are in this book that we're going to look at over the next six weeks. So, so don't miss any of them. They're, they're, they're awesome, awesome stories collectively. And I kind of would challenge you to read the whole book at one sitting at least three or four times during our, our six weeks. Just, just read it all at one sitting and kind of get the, the, the Google Earth view of what's going on here. But back to the first five verses. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Okay, we, we don't know why there was a famine. Maybe it was judgment, maybe not. We don't always know why something's going on. A man of Bethlehem, and it makes sure we know that it's Bethlehem of Judah, because there were a couple of Bethlehems that, that could have been options. He went to sojourn. And the word sojourn is not the word immigrate. It's not we're planning to move there permanently. We're going to go there till things get better. Okay? Relocation. In the country of Moab. Now, if you circle Moab, that's a problem because Moab was an enemy of Israel. So we're going to go live amongst the enemy. We're going to go be in a place where there's hostility between these two nations. The name of the man was Elimelech. The lion sleeps tonight. Never mind. Anyway, Elimelech, Elimelech. He, uh, he was, uh, his name meant uh, uh, God is Father. And so somebody meant to give him, you know. And then his wife's name was Naomi, and that means pleasant. And then the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, which mean something that we absolutely don't know. They just kind of rhyme, and I, and I think that's sort of what was going on there. So, Emelonelech, Naomi, Malon, Chilion, they were uh, Epiphathites, which means they were a clan within the tribe of Judah. So they were a, a family clan within a larger people group called a tribe. You, you get the idea. It was, it was like a small town within a larger state. Everybody knew everybody. So it, they go out of the way to set the stage for us. So they went to Moab and they stayed there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives, which was kind of against the law. Uh, Jewish people weren't supposed to marry outside of the faith. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years, and here's the surprise ending, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Have a nice day. Right? This awful. So the best I could do was to, to say, listen, it, it's an awful situation. And if we end right there, it probably reminds you of a situation that you're in or have been in or might be in where, where you just really don't see any hope. You, you really don't see that there's a, a bright spot over the horizon. It's going to get better. There is no promise as we end this particular part of the story that things are going to get better.
This woman has been relocated by her husband, and we could argue whether or not that was a, an act of, of, of desperation instead of faith. Should, should he have stayed in Bethlehem and, and trusted God to feed his family? I mean, the, the, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. How ironic that there was a famine in the house of bread. Should he have stayed? I don't know. It doesn't say. Should he have trusted God when his sons decided to, to take uh, foreign wives? I don't know. All we know is we get to verse 5, everybody's dead except Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, and it looks pretty dark. And maybe that's the part of the short story that, that lets us tag in, right? We, we've all been there. We, we've all had those, those places where all we wanted was some ray of hope. All we wanted was some bright spot. In the book of Job, when, when he goes through all the stuff he goes through, his three friends come to him and they say, we are your friends and we have just come to sit with you. Just a matter of presence. Now, if you know the rest of the book, it sort of went south from there, but, but it, they, they, they did the right thing at first when we're, when we're hurting that badly. It just helps to have a voice that says it's going to be okay. It just helps to know that, that God's presence, that He doesn't leave us when we make horrible choices. He, he doesn't leave us when we're in sin. He doesn't stop pursuing us when we uh, are, are in a situation that seems so desperate. And, and what we will learn in the rest of the story, the, the problem was that all the characters were looking inward to try to fix their circumstances or fix themselves rather than to look outward and upward where they could see God Himself. So let me make a couple of observations about the story, and I'll, I'll go back to the, to the verses just a little bit. It's tough to escape our problems. They tend to travel with us. Now, the, this family was in Bethlehem, and they, they decided that, that instead of, of hanging around for whatever reason, they heard that there was a better life somewhere else, a better place somewhere else. If only I could escape. Now, now, granted, sometimes the environment is the problem. So sometimes we need to relocate to get out of a, a, a situation that's toxic. Sometimes we, we do have to escape, but, but there's nothing in this story that indicates that there was any pressure on them to, to escape. Nonetheless, they left to go to another place. Well, the truth is that our problems generally have one of three sources. Either they're cultural forces. The Scripture says it was the time of the judges. So the rampant culture was immorality and, and corrupt politics and, and uh, uh, the elders not doing what the elders are supposed to do and the youngers not doing what the youngers are supposed to do. In this cycle over and over again where the, 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 the lack of respect for each other, the lack of respect for human life, the, the lack of value of the next generation. They, they didn't necessarily have abortion back then, but they didn't have any problem uh, taking the life of a child if it wasn't convenient. <clears throat> Not all that different. And so maybe it's 
cultural forces. Maybe there are some things at work that cause problems. Well, running away is not really going to help because it's likely that the, the same cultural forces are going to be going on no matter where we go. Maybe it's not cultural forces, but natural sources. Maybe it's something that's going on. Oops, sorry. Let me go back. Maybe it's something that's going on uh, because of natural uh, occurrences. The, the Scripture says there was a famine in the land. It doesn't explain why there was a famine. Uh, a job that's lost unexpectedly. Something that's, that's not uh, uh, lining up as it needs to. Uh, don't have any assurance. The, the rent got raised. The power bill is outrageous. Maybe it's, a, it's, it's an environmental something that happened. The, the company laid off everybody in Atlanta. So this doesn't tell us that it was their fault. It doesn't tell us that they had sinned. We can draw our own lines, but, but it just appears that this famine affected everybody. It affected the clan. It affected the tribe. It, it affected everybody. So sometimes our problems are just natural forces, natural sources. And sometimes our problems are personal choices. It says that it was the time of the judges, cultural. There was a famine in the land, natural. And they chose to leave. Now, we can judge that personal choice, but it is a personal choice. They left Bethlehem. They left their support system. They left family. They left the things that they knew and loved and were familiar with. And sometimes we do the same thing. When, when we're having a, a problem, we don't want anybody to know. We, we make the choice to, to keep it in, to not, not tell anybody, not share it with anybody, not allow anybody in the community of faith or, or the community itself. Don't let anybody in. Keep your depression to yourself. Keep your anxiety to yourself. Keep your parenting woes to yourself. Don't want to get embarrassed because other people might have something to say about the way I conduct my business and my family. Cultural, natural, personal. Our, our problems tend to, to emanate from those kinds of things, but running away rarely solves anything. The rest of the, the Scripture that we read is the part that's kind of weird. <clears throat> you read the, the verses, verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. Verse 5, both Malon and Chilion died. So I'm the reader. How they die? What happened? Natural disaster? Were they attacked? Disease? Did God strike them dead? Was it lightning? Was it was it was it, was it some? What happened to them? Well, the writer doesn't tell us. Wait, wait, wait! Don't leave me hanging there. I need to know. Recently, went through something personal where. Decisions were made that, that, that affected me and, the, and my family in, in ways that were kind of strange. And, and, I, and I wanted to know why this needed to happen like this. I, I needed to know what was going on. And I make all the calls, do, do what I got to do. And, and they say, well, we really can't talk about it. What do you mean can't talk about it? 
It affects me. Talk about it. No, we're really not going to. And back and forth, you can go, right? Didn't make the right grade. Well, what happened? It was an essay question, and I just judged that you got a C instead of an A. But why? You're telling me that my job is being phased out? Why? I need to know. I need an explanation. I need something that I can hang on, something to blame, something that I can wrap my mind around because unexplained tragedy is just not doing it for me. He died. That's all it tells us. Then the sons died. That's all it tells us. Now, we as the reader, we can make our guesses, right? God is helping them to become stronger. Richard Nixon said, the the finest steel goes through the hottest fire. Elizabeth Elliot says that that when there's a, a, a suffering that's going on that we can identify, just take the next step. Mac used to say, just take the next right step. So, so it, maybe God is at work. It doesn't explain their suffering. It doesn't say that they were being judged for their sin. It doesn't say that, that their bad choices got them where they are. It just says they died. And, and as the, the reader, you're, you're, you're wanting an explanation, but when you shift gears and, 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 and think about that, that, that if God is behind this, <clears throat> and if God is going to use whatever it is for your good and His glory. Then maybe we go back to James 4, where God says, you draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I, I, I may not deliver you from your circumstance, but I'll give you my presence. Let me read some Scripture over you. I, I couldn't help but go to Psalm 46. This is is what God, through the psalmist, says to us. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, presence. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. You shall not be moved. God will help her. God will help you when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. He has brought desolation to the earth. He makes wars to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we don't get an explanation. And all we get is a knowledge that God hasn't left us. I'm going to cheat a little bit and borrow from the next verse. I just couldn't leave it there. I'm sorry. Verse 6 says, So Ruth, uh, so Naomi got up. Some of your translations say, she arose and returned to Bethlehem. Now, think about what's going on there. She got up. She made a decision. 
Unfortunately, we as readers don't know why she made the decision. We don't have a clue. Her suffering is still unexplained. Her husband's dead. Her sons are dead. The foreign wives that they married were not interested. The culture of Moab was not interested in taking care of an Israelite widow. She didn't have a place to go. She didn't have anybody to turn to. And something drew her back to the thing that she knew. She had been there a decade. Her sojourn had almost turned to immigration. And something in her called her back. For you that are trying out what a relationship with God might look like, the Scripture says, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is in drawing us to Christ, especially in the midst of our troubles, especially in the midst of our sin. And whether whether it's, it's cultural or natural or our own choices, when we realize that, that there's something that's not lining up and we just need something to help us out, something to bail us out, something to draw us towards something bigger than us, AA calls it a, a higher power. We all know that it's God. Something drawing us to Himself. Well, something was drawing Ruth, and the rest of the story that we'll go through in the next several weeks has, has to do with that, that redemption that unfolded because God had never left her. God had never forsaken her. But the one thing she did in the midst of her trouble, she arose she returned. The word repentance, the word picture for that is that we are going in a direction. We stop, we turn around, we go in the other direction. That's, that's a word picture for the word repentance. Ruth was, uh, Naomi was living in Moab, not, not terribly far from Bethlehem, but, but still a, a good journey. She's there she realizes she doesn't want to be there. She gets up and she goes the direction she came from. Repentance is not turning away from something without turning to something or someone. And what Naomi finally did is that I've got to run back to the place of God. The culture of Moab was just as corrupt as it was in Israel, except they had gods that were just awful. You read about the culture of the Transjordan tribes and the, 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 the stuff that was going on there that was everything from pagan worship to child sacrifice. It was awful. And there was something in her spirit that said, this can't be. First John is a fun little letter that's tucked away in near the, the back of the whole Bible. And in 1 John chapter 1, the Scripture says, if we confess our sins, and the word confess there doesn't mean reveal. God already knows what we do. We don't reveal our sins to God. The word confess means agree. We agree with God that He is God, that we're not. Naomi realized that where she was was not where she wanted to be. If we confess our sins, it describes God's faithfulness. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
It's quite possible that you're sitting here today. And whether it's cultural or natural or personal, that something got you where you are today and it's not where you want to be. You might get up and head towards the God that you know will be present in your life. Baptism is that story. Whether it's Carter or Scott or Chris or you or me, the, the back wall that you see right there is covered with signatures of people who have been baptized. All representing a story where they were headed in a direction, they stopped, they turned around, they headed in the other direction. That's why we put them all the way underwater. It represents death to life, darkness to light. The t-shirt says, raised to walk in newness of life. So the story of Ruth goes on, but it's important that we stop and realize that the desperation of the circumstances is what drove her to get up and return to a God that she knew, a place that she knew, a community of faith that she knew, because she needed redemption. And an unexpected twist along the way is that her daughter-in-law joined her in that redemptive quest. Would you bow your heads? If what I described was you, you need a new direction. Not thrilled about the place you are right now and think you need to head a different way. Would you please come find me in the lobby? Head over to the connection corner and find Sarah or one of the volunteers with a green shirt or a name tag and say, I I need to have a conversation about what it means to stop and go a new direction. And who knows, maybe the waters of baptism are your next step. Whether your problems are cultural, natural, or personal, whether you've been trying to escape them and realize you can't, and maybe even if you don't have satisfying answers at all, the one thing I can tell you is to run to the presence of God. Father, thanks for the day. Thanks for giving us a place to run. Thanks for shining in our, in our midst. Thank you for a wonderful little book tucked in the, in the Old Testament. In it we find you. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful. You are righteous. You sent Jesus. Not into the world to condemn it. But through him, we could all be saved. Father, if there's one here who needs to begin that conversation, let them have confidence, courage, that today is the day where things can turn around. That is my prayer in Jesus' name.